some phrases that seem to, not those phrases, but uh, some things that we say, <laughs> some things that we say that, uh, that we learn that have kind of been, I don't know, they just seem to pass on no matter what seems to happen. There's certain things uh, that just carry on no matter how, uh, how we try to stop them maybe even. And then there's some that just come that are new, like uh, there's certain things that are, are new under the sun, certain phrases that come up through whether junior high or high school. Um, there's things that just, you know, we didn't say in high school, right, bro? My guy. That's uh, just some new stuff that comes, but uh, there's some that just do not change. There's some that as, as parents, we know that we said as a kid as well, and we know that we hear as well. Uh, some very familiar ones, be like, are we there yet? That's it's just an immutable law of nature. Those ones are going to come up at some point. Uh, he started it. That one. That one comes up for sure. Now, I think there's different responses to what happens after that. So, it, he started it. What's, what has been, what would, what's the follow-up response as far as you're concerned? No, she did. <laughs> no, she did. That's right. The pushback. As a parent, what's your response? What, what has your response been? I'll stop the car. I'm going to finish it. But that beginning, he started it. She started it. Oh, man. That's, uh, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who started it. It's happened, and it needs to end now. But uh, that's one that, and amongst other ones, that just, it doesn't take anything particular of being taught. This is how you react in this situation. When somebody does something to you that you feel is unjust, then what you start with is... They started it. There's certain things like that that rub off on us that I think we just kind of have because it makes sense. But there's certain ones that, there's certain things that you know how to do. I bet you can't even point to the person that taught you or why you know how to do this. And I think, I, I would probably guess that sometimes it's, it's parents, it's uh, peers, things have rubbed off. You just don't even know why you do that, but you do that. And, and like, not in the sense of like a weird, annoying tick or something like that, but more like you have a skill and you just do things the right way in that skill, and you're like, I, I don't know, it just seems right. That just seems like that's what the thing you should do. And sometimes it's small things, whether working with tools, whether uh, working in the kitchen, I see this, where sometimes uh, I feel like earlier on in our marriage, I would say to Julie, like, well, why do you do it that way? Like, how do you know what to do it that way? Sometimes it's, well, mom always did it that way, and it made no sense then either. Uh, but other times, <laughs> other times it's like, well, I don't know, that's just, that's just what you do. And uh, I would notice similar things, whether it was usually things working with my hands or, or in the garage or something, where I'd be like, that's, I, I don't know why I know how to do that. It's just, it's just what you do. That's just what makes sense. And in those instances, I'd probably point to, like, my dad must have done it that way, and I must have learned from him. And sometimes, like I said, it's these small things of, oh, you just hold it just a little bit different. Your grip just a bit like that. Just a little bit at an angle like this, and it'll go a little bit easier. You do this beforehand, and it's going to just make life a little more simple for you. We pick up on these little things. I imagine, now this is, understand for me, the world of animals is something I do not know a lot about or care about. Uh, but for those of you that have like animals and like livestock too, like there's certain things that you just get and you know. And you know that when you spend time with someone else that has done things with animals for a long time, like why do you do it that way? Oh, it's just, I don't know, it's just what you do. 
But it rubbed off on you at some point. Someone started it, and it rubbed off, and you've learned it, whether you think you've learned it specifically in a, a, an educational setting, something has rubbed off at some point. Now, this happens, I think, just in the, the nature of living with people, uh, the nature of experience of trying things. We figure out stuff and try, well, do it a little bit different because it didn't work that time. We figure out some of those things on our own. But uh, a lot of this is things that are rubbing off on us. And now this is true when we, when we kind of like zoom out a bit and look at like just the world in general. And we look at some of the things that have, uh, when, we, when we think like through God's working in history and throughout history, there's certain things that have rubbed off, that certain things that exist within the fabric of the world that God put in there. He was the one actually that started it. He was the one that, uh, that moved some of these things into being. He is the one that ha has rubbed off on us in certain ways as well. Now we've come through the first few uh, Sundays of Advent, these first three themes of hope and peace and joy. And today is love. And love is one that is in the very fabric of who God is. It is part of his being, and it is everywhere, wherever God is. He started it. And now we can like really look really far back and think about this as well, as that to the, the very beginning of creation, even before that. So now there, there's kind of a weird spot of, because everything that is, that was created, God created. So before that, God was. God is the the uncaused cause. He is the prime mover. He is the initiator. And love has always been present even before creation. Because God was complete. God is complete. And we see the, characterist the, the characters of God as spirit and father and son. And in that love of community and, and one anotherness, God was complete. He does not, did not need us. But God chose to create. I think one of those large things out of that is love is why not god didn't need company he wasn't bored he didn't need a project but out of love god creates so love is there from the very very beginning from the origin from the absolute beginning of creation and before love is present and i wish we could i wish we could kind of like quantify love and then chart it out because I'm pretty sure it would not be linear, it, would not be, uh, it wouldn't always be upward trending as well, but this is how, as we thought about this, this is what I think it would look like, and I'm not sure what the perfect illustration for it is, so I don't have one, but this is what I think love would look like, is starting with, oh, now I'm just thinking this through a bit more. If God is love, then love was infinite from the beginning, so a chart doesn't work at all. Shoot. So let's think about that as it pertains to uh, human experience and our ability to uh, give love to others and our ability to emulate that rub that loves off for us as well. Because we think of very, at the very beginning, things were right, things were good, things were the way it was uh, to be with Adam and Eve before they, uh, they uh, messed things up. Uh, and so love has kind of this like sort of steady, kind of up and down, a little bit up. We see God working through history of being, you know, it was broken, so we broke it at one point. And uh, so maybe that's a dip, if we could quantify that. But then uh, God choosing people to build a nation through Abraham and then through his offspring and growing. And, and this love part of, uh, of, of the nation of Israel, the, the intent of the nation of Israel from the very beginning was for God to show his love to other people. He chose a people 
uh, in order to be a blessing to other people. And now Israel has moments where they're like, they are a blessing to their neighbors, where they are good for their neighbors. And so there's kind of some increases in love. And then, and then times when they don't get it right. And so there's kind of maybe some decreases as well. But it seems to be kind of this steady across because it's sort of contained to one nation, God working with the nation of Israel. And so we see that go across, and, and, uh, and maybe as we think of just before Jesus' time, you know, the, the nation of Israel has gone off into exile, so it's like they're almost closing the door on it, being like, you know, this is supposed to be for everyone, but we're just going to kind of close the door. Let's keep the love in the house, and uh, we'll just use this for ourselves. But then, Jesus. And it just looks to me like an explosion from that point on of love growing bigger and bigger and bigger throughout human expression to one another as God works with humans because now it's not tied to just one nation anymore now it is it is border free borderless and on it goes and and I think the proof of that is that we're halfway across the world from where that love entered our world in a very tangible and real sense in the person of Jesus and we know who Jesus is and we know God's love through that so it has exploded in a very very big way and that's a big part of God choosing to enter into the creation that he made. Entering into creation as a person, as Jesus. And then living this life of showing us how we should live. And then sacrificing his life for us that we could have and can have that life through him. Uh, but thankfully God did, Jesus did not stay dead, but came back to life and ascended into heaven. Giving us the project, the opportunity to show his love to others, to tell others about Jesus and his great love for people. So there's this explosion that happens as we see it maybe trickle throughout people's experience throughout history and then from Jesus on it's explosion and it grows. And maybe if we were to map that out worldwide again, there'd be ups and downs. Uh, people don't always get it right. We don't always get it right. But I do believe that that sense of love is still growing, still expanding, still, uh, still exploding in new areas of the world sometimes as well too. But all of that is maybe sometimes with our partnership, with our, our uh, ability to jump in with what God is doing, but it's all on God's initiative. He started it. Anything that we know about love, we, it rubbed off on us from him. God is the one that started it in an absolutely wonderful way. Uh, so we can blame him, give him the credit for that in a wonderful way. Now, thinking about uh, love and like where, where we can kind of see that spoken of in Scripture the most, when we're thinking about love, John's our guy. John loves love. Uh, John is the one that talks about love the most. So it's specifically to 1 John. And that's where I invite you to turn to is 1 John. It's just love, 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 love. It's all in there. Love, love, love. It's, it's just over and over and over again. It's kind of a fun exercise sometimes to look up uh, a word on... Um, there's a website I use often called blueletterbible.org. And... Uh, it's free to use. Encourage you to look at that if you would find interest in that. Of uh, just some language stuff where you can look up where a word shows up in Scripture. And love has a few different words that get uh, original language words that get used for it. But it's one that uh, you see. It's like, oh yeah, a few times here, a few times in this chapter, some Old Testament here, and then it's like First John. Just he's got he's got the lion's share of love as he talks about God and love. So there's some things we can learn from this and the. The difficulty was kind of narrowing down to the few sentences, the few verses that I want us to, uh, to dive into. And so it's going to be in chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 
Uh, verse 7 is, is where we'll start. And as we look in here, there's uh, some things I want to point out for us, some things I hope we can, we can kind of learn from. But uh, definitely want to leave that as a go, go read 1 John and, and get the whole, the whole scope, the whole uh, broad hit of love as he talks about in it. And, and you might feel a bit like, that's not that much in here, but it is kind of split. The first half of 1 John ends up being talking about light and contrasting with darkness, light a little bit more, and then uh, God is love in the second half of it. So if you have those two kind of in the back of your mind as you go and read 1 John this afternoon, then uh, that's, that's uh, hang on to the second half where you'll see this explosion of love as, uh, as John talks about it. So in verse 7, this is how John carries on. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. There's uh, the one, one person I was reading on this. Uh, Keener is his last name. And he talks about this as a spiritual lineage. Everyone who has been born of God, everyone who, uh, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Isn't that neat? has been born of God. Those that love have been born of God. So it's not this actual lineage. I don't know if, do you remember the song when we'd sing like, uh, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham and I'm one of them. No, you're not. But uh, it doesn't, that's the thing is like, that's how we are is through this, through God, through Jesus. We're adopted as children of God and Abraham and Jesus, that's all connected. So we can kind of draw a line there if we want to. Uh, unless you are actually are a son of Abraham in some Jewish descent, that's neat. Uh, you can sing the song from a couple different angles then. But we have this spiritual lineage of love. And isn't that so cool that that characteristic of love that is so present in who God is, is something that shows us like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so's kid. We can tell by the way that they love. We can tell by the way that they love. That's verse 7. Sorry, let's carry on. Verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He started it. You see this? God started it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God started all of this love. He started the opportunity to have life, life connected to him because of what he did as Jesus. Let's carry on. Verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We see it again here. God started it. Not that we loved God, that's not the initiator, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is where it starts when we think of Christmas time. That's why we celebrate Christmas is Jesus. Jesus coming to earth. God entering into creation as this little boy. Jesus. And it starts off this explosion of love. And then in verse 11, it carries on. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, we should learn this from him, from our father. Learn how to love. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We're invited into this. And this is a, a really fantastic, mystical, can't put your finger on it kind of thing because it starts to pertain to the nature of God and, and, and uh, the 
uh, Trinity and those, these persons of Holy Spirit and, and Father and Son and how all of that works together and how all of that works together before creation with love present as well. So with all of that present, and we think that we have the opportunity through Jesus to be part of that because the Holy Spirit is in us and we're invited into this perfect community that God exists with already. And we're invited into that Godhead experience of love through what Jesus did for us and the Holy Spirit in us. That is absolutely amazing that God would do that for us. Again, not because he needed a project, not because he lacked anything, but because God is love. Now, something that comes up for me out of this, reading some of this and, uh, and maybe having a bit of a, a, a shorter, narrower view on this, there's some arguments that kind of come up. So I feel like I just want to address as a bit of a sidebar a couple things that I feel like, well, what about if? And, uh, and this is what I want to say. So uh, reading that verse in verse 7 there, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Really? Is that all it takes? If I do one loving act apart from Jesus, does that mean I've been born of God and know God? So what about someone who knows nothing of God but does a loving act, does a loving thing? Does that automatically bring them in? Does that qualify them to be called a child of God, whether they know about God or not? Now, I'll offer you a couple, a couple of thoughts. It might be sometimes more helpful to just leave it there and you go wrestle with it as I've wrestled with it for a bit. But let me point to a couple, a couple things that come to mind for me within this, uh, this question as well. Is what about someone who does not know God, who might be utterly evil, but does... One loving act. What of that person? There's a couple things that come to mind. The first thing that comes to mind for me is this phrase that uh, was used by, actually I had to trace this back because I feel like it was a few people that used it, but to, to the oldest back guy who is long dead and used it first was uh, St. Augustine or Augustine, however you prefer. Uh, and he had this, this phrase of all truth is God's truth. So he had this kind of idea that things that may not be found in the Bible, but if they are true, then we'll, we'll say that's God's truth because it's kind of built into the fabric of creation. And if that's true, then we'll say that's God's truth. And so he also has, uh, there were ones that picked up on that later on. Thomas Aquinas kind of like developed that a little bit more. Calvin latched onto that as well of uh, all truth is God's truth. So that makes me think like, okay, so is all love God's love? Uh, again, Follow with me here. I don't have uh, the absolute answer for you, but a few thoughts that I want to draw to this. So perhaps a person who knows not Jesus that does a loving thing, perhaps they're not as far away from God as we might expect. Because if there is something in the nature of a human that has their DNA wrapped up in the nature of God, then we do have something in the, the base of our creation that has a, uh, a longing for God, an emptiness without God, and perhaps an innate ability to show love when otherwise love might not be present or it might not make sense. But love is not the only thing that's required when we consider salvation, forgiveness of sins, and relationship with Jesus. And John is not pointing to just that as well in this verse. So this is the part where if you go home and read the whole thing, you'll, you'll kind of catch these as well for 1 John. But uh, he does say this, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. But he's also talking to an audience at this point too. He's talking to an audience that does, <laughs> for the most part, know God. An audience that has 
uh, heard and understood about Jesus and for the most part accepted him as Lord and Savior. And now within that, there were some that were turning their back on, uh, and again, occasion for a letter then as well. But uh, a person that knows not God and does something in a loving nature perhaps isn't that far from Jesus and maybe just needs a little bit more to fill out the, uh, the understanding of that and, uh, and the experience of relationship with Jesus as well. Because love is required, but so is repentance. And so is submission to the lordship of Jesus. Now the last thing on this little sidebar I'll just draw us to is uh, the opening and the beginning. If you read the opening of 1 John, you'll see it. And also in uh, the conclusion of 1 John, uh, there's a piece... What do, um, yeah, in chapter 5, as he's wrapping up too, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So now he's said two things. Uh, everyone who loves has been born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So we don't need to take those as two separate things. Which is it, one or the other? We, we kind of take that as that's in the whole basket. Everyone who shows love is showing that they're born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Uh, this is how we know in verse 2 of chapter 5, this is how we know that we... We love the children. Uh, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So he keeps pointing to this faith element, this belief part, uh, and then also later on in verse uh, 10 to 12. He uh, reiterates, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So when we take the whole book kind of as a, a whole piece, then uh, we can kind of see a little bit more to what John is driving towards here. But I think that is still a valid question to consider is what about those who don't know God that would do a loving thing? And, and maybe that's uh, an opportunity in our own worlds of uh, being able to help close the loop for someone like that of like, ah, oh, I see that loving thing you did. That is very wonderful. Did you know the one who is the author of love? Uh, or something so subtle as that. Okay, let's come back from that back to uh, where we're talking about love as God has started it. Uh, he invites us into it as well. And this has always been true, that God invites people to relationship with him, but he invites us to partner with him. For those that are willing, for those that want to, God does not uh, demand it, but he has opportunity for us when we are willing to serve, to be part of what he is doing. And we catch that. And the simplicity of showing love, of making God's love known, God will use that for really big things. We always have this little part of showing God's love, of doing these small action pieces, and then God just does these big things that we can look at over time when you look back and be like, all right, God was calling me to do this, did this small thing, and like, wow, really did something beyond what I would have expected with that. It's really astounding, the big piece that God carries. He carries that, that uh, part of it much larger than our own participation, our own part. There's a couple, uh, a couple parables that Jesus tells that I feel like illustrate this, uh, this explosion, this... Um, this growth of what love can do. And uh, they're short little ones, so I want to take uh, time this morning to look at them. Uh, they're in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. You can turn to that. And, uh, and there's two parables that Jesus tells here. 
that I think really land this idea of what love does. Because uh, love for love's sake is good, uh, but love in uh, the life of someone following Jesus often is tied to, uh, is often shown, not tied, is often shown in action. James is all about that as well. Showing uh, our, uh, our actions reveal what's in our heart. Uh, so our actions reveal the love that's in our heart or isn't. So in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, this is a parable that Jesus told. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And do you see the couple pieces in here? A man took and planted a seed, and then it grew. And it's the smallest little seed that grew into something big that was useful, helpful for uh, those around it. And this is our part. This is love in action. Planting seeds, just little ones even. And once it's planted, then it's God's work. When it grows, we know that we do not have the capacity to force something to grow. We can create the conditions for it. We can do our part of planting the seed, but when it grows, that's God's work. And then it grows. And it grows into something big and useful. And then the next sentence, he tells one more parable. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Is that how you guys make bread at home? 60 pounds of flour. Whew, that's a different time, was it not? <laughs> that would be, man, can you imagine the forearms and the shoulders on having to knead that kind of dough? So when you think about the, the Israelites uh, coming out of Egypt and the exile, and it says they put their kneading troughs, like the, the dough was in it, like 60 pounds of flour alone. And the kneading troughs of dough, like that's, that's a hunk of dough. Um, there was one, one uh, commentator I was reading talking about, like that would have fed about 100 people. So I'm not sure like how much people eat. Um, so 100 people eating, that, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of bread. So it'd probably be about like 15 teenagers eating that much food. But this sort of thing... Uh, it's not just about bread, uh, and we'll point to something in a second where some others like us didn't catch that. It's about this uh, yeast. Kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Isn't that neat? It's this, it starts as a, as, as a, a portion you put in. And it takes this mixing and mixing it in. And then when you're, when you're making bread and, and, and you've let it rise and kneading the dough and kneading it and the work that as it spreads and spreads. And then as it sits, you have to actually stop. You actually have to stop doing the action piece of kneading in order for it to, to grow, to do something, to become something uh, beneficial, something beautiful, something tasty, something that will be use, useful and used later on. So we have this piece planting a seed, of mixing in the ingredients, and then God does these other things that cause it to grow. He causes these explosions, the growth of his love through people. He is the one that, uh, that does the bigger part of the work there. So one thing on, uh, on, on yeast that gets used as well, in, uh, that Jesus uses, that uh, it's not always for the good. And I think it's, it's helpful for us to be kind of aware of this as well, as uh, this principle of, of, of kneading that dough, of spreading 
these ingredients, mixing these ingredients together, the yeast being worked in, that's not always, a, that's not always applied just to, uh, just to love, to action, to what is good, to God's kingdom growing. That can have an evil application as well. Uh, let, me, let me show you where, uh, where, this, where this happens. In, in Matthew chapter 16, we have a similar situation, uh, and, but Jesus is going to point out something here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 5. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So this image gets used a few different times. And then, this is always so good, the response of the disciples here. It just really makes it feel attainable, doesn't it? That like, if this is who the disciples were, yeah, I can do this too. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Just these, it's just these hungry guys in a boat with Jesus. Oh man, it's bread. We forgot to bring the bread. He's talking about bread. Guys, get your heads out of your stomachs for a minute here. They understood he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So this idea of teaching can spread and we, we, can, we can see that, right? An idea spreads, and it isn't always a good idea that spreads. And so that working, that kneading of the dough and working the yeast into the whole lump of dough, that can be with a good idea, that can be with a good teaching, that can be with a loving action, but it can also be with something done for ill intent, an idea that is destructive and evil and not helpful. So Jesus points that out. Be on the guard. Be on your guard against these ideas that will come. Later on in, uh, in Scripture, talk about uh, that our battle is against such things as well, against some of those unseen things, against those ideas, because ideas can precipitate behavior, and behavior can precipitate ideas. And this is a, an interesting kind of back and forth that happens. When we, when we live in, uh, in light of Jesus, in light of God, and what he's done for us, and we live in that sense of, uh, of, of action, of loving action for others, and so think of an example of these hampers, Right? You donated food. You did something that, was, uh, that, that cost you something, that cost you some time, some resources. It took you some effort. You had to think like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to help out. And, and you did a loving action. That's awesome. And that sort of loving action precipitates a behavior. It, it leads to a behavior where you think, well, that's good. I should do more of that. And then it leads you uh, with that thought of like, okay, well, what more should I do with that? And this, these actions and ideas kind of feed back and forth. And when they're in a good situation, that's a pretty good feeding back and forth. That's a pretty healthy cycle of the things that we believe, the ideas that we attach to, the desires that we have when they fuel our actions and they're good. They build up our actions, our ideas, and then, and then they move that back and forth. But when something sneaks in there that is not good as an action or is not good as an idea, then that can start to do the same sort of thing. And so that's why we need to be on our guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees as we're given in this example. What we believe affects our actions and our, and our actions affect our beliefs as well. So when we're spending time getting to know Jesus, 
and letting that, uh, letting that influence our behaviors and our beliefs and ideas. When we're letting that rub off on us in all the good ways and we're starting to do things, we're like, why'd you do it that way? Well, I don't know. That just seemed like the right thing to do. Someone must have taught me that, but I don't know who it was or when it was, but that's, that's what we're doing. We might not even be able to point to it, but it is there. Love starts to rub off because God started it. So how do we get ourselves into those situations of having that rub off on us? Because this has to happen somewhere. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be not good things that are going to rub off on our ideas and our actions, on our behaviors and our beliefs. Well, you have to kind of put yourself in the space of Jesus and the space of others that follow Jesus and learn from them, do like them. And when I think of our, uh, our setting here at Crossway, we have some spaces where that, I think that happens well. We talked about Sunday school this morning. We talked about the opportunity to gather together as a church like this. And, uh, and we spend time together as well, talking doing, serving alongside one another. I think our, our student ministry is an easy spot where you have, there's a lot of intention poured into the time that you guys get to spend together, the time that you get to uh, learn from others that are learning from Jesus, following Jesus as well. This shows up for sure in our other areas like uh, our prayer meeting uh, encounter and men's breakfast and the women's ministry and all the effort that gets put into those things as well. Sunday school and kids ministry, VBS, all those opportunities to learn from others to serve alongside others. It's incredible the things you learn serving alongside other people as it rubs off on you. Uh, and, and individually, the time that you spend praising God, praying, reading, waiting before God for what he has, spending time with God. And it doesn't happen in a formula or some quick fix. It happens through time. It takes time. And bit by bit, God and his characteristics and his love starts to rub off onto us and we start to look like him we start to act like him in the ways that we are as families maybe we'd start to tell jokes like him we would laugh at the same things like him but ultimately ultimately we would love like him and that's what we want to get towards loving like him he started it it wasn't our own initiative it was god's initiative but now we get the opportunity to do those small things, just small actions of love. They don't have to be big. They don't have to be fully fleshed out. They don't have to be uh, uh, extravagant because you think of the size of a seed that is planted. You think of the size of yeast that is worked into the dough. That's so small. That can, be, that can be an encouraging word, dropping a seed. That can be writing a card or a note or a text to someone as an encouragement or a question. That can be a handshake and a friendly smile. That's a pretty small thing to do. And I believe that God can use that in the way that he chooses. Plant a small, small seed like that and wait to see what God might do with that. God started it. He's going to finish it one day. But in the meantime, let's plant and mix while we have the chance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... Thank you for your love. It persists through time. It moves us to action. It moved you to action, to self-sacrificial love for us, to experience life on this planet as one of us. And it held you to the cross for us.
thank you for what you've started so, so long ago. Thank you for the explosion of love that you've brought into this world. Help us to walk in and work in, operate in the belief of that love. Let it motivate our behaviors. Help us to do this well, God. Forgive us when we miss the mark. We know that you're gracious. Thank you for that. And this Christmas, make us mindful of who we can be showing your love to and give us the boldness and courage to do that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.